Well, I was going to say good morning, but we have already said that so many times. Good afternoon. I'll be the first to tell you that. Well, it is good to be in the Lord's house. I was privileged to be able to visit with a friend of mine in New Hampshire last week, and his church is a worship together, and the pastor had asked me to share my testimony in Sunday school. Let me just say to, to each of you, if you've not shared your testimony in a while or thought about how God brought you out of darkness into light, saved your soul from uh, from sin and from hell, I, I would just encourage you to think over that, mull over that, and just be encouraged by that uh, God's delivering work in your life. So it was a good exercise for me to just think about uh, God's hand in my life. Providence uh, is always seen clear backwards. You can see God moving in ways which you had not anticipated uh, as you were living through the moment as he was drawing you to himself so so be encouraged and and take an opportunity to do that this week think about that and if you have your bibles open them to the book of hebrews this morning the book of hebrews we've been going through hebrews uh, for a couple of weeks now and we're in chapter number 11 this great um explanation and example of faith, the Christian faith as it's given to us. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 23, and you can follow along with me, and I'll read down to the end of verse 29. Book of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. And that is God's holy, inspired, infallible word. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, speak to us now in this time. In Christ's name, amen. Well, uh, this morning I was thinking, actually really yesterday, I was thinking about a quote that maybe you have heard of. Um, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That was penned by a young man named Jim Elliott at the end of his uh, college days at Wheaton. It was in his journal as he was uh, musing over the uh, Judas casting the silver down on the ground, and he was thinking about the priest who had to go through the chore of picking up those pieces on the ground and trying to figure out what they would do with the blood money. His conclusion at the end of that journal entry that you can find online or uh, that's preserved is that humanity is such a cruel is such a cruel person or people. We are such cruel people. In the midst of that, he grabs a hold of that thought, which really is going to be played out in his own life, as you know his story. As if one preacher who said, what I've preached with my lips, you'll now see me seal with my blood. So Jim Elliot, in his statement of, 
of gaining and giving is declared in his own life. He died, as most of you know, at the young age of 28, January 8, 1956. He was there on the beach of what they called Palm Palm Beach and waiting for the Indians to come so they may make contact and, and share the gospel with them or make connections, this unreached mission group. And he, along with his four friends, died. I died. You know, I was thinking as we were looking and reading over that, that it was said that he graduated Wheaton with honors. Possibility and potential as we kind of think of it like that. And I just want to say, and I, and I think we would all agree wholeheartedly, he graduated with honors from the mission field, much greater with much more reward than he ever did with a piece of paper from Wheaton College when he gave his life for the gospel, for the cause of Christ. Many multitude, we could say, as we have seen already this morning, men and women have paid the cost for following Christ Bearing sometimes the ultimate cost with their life, some with their livelihood, others with, with their group or tribe of people, as, as we can gather many examples of that. Some have foregone comforts of this life just to be, uh, just to be in, the, in the work and service and to follow Christ in this world. You see that in the example given to us of Moses put before us as we see this great example of faith and the cost which it calls for in this life. In fact, it reflects Jesus' own teaching of discipleship, doesn't it, when he tells us in the book of Luke or the gospel of Luke that if you're going to be his disciple, you must, you must love him above all else. There's not a place for, for seconds with Christ. He must be above all as he speaks to the multitude who would follow him. Much unlike the messages we hear today of Christianity and the Bible and being a, uh, being a follower of Christ, Jesus sets the bar at its ultimate place, that is, an abandonment, total commitment. But behind Jim Elliot and Moses, as we'll look at here in a moment, and, and the multitude of other examples in church history, and some even you know in your own life, beyond all of those great examples stands that deep conviction more importantly, stands the confidence that they have in God and what he has promised. And the discussion of faith, which is our discussion in chapter number 11, been the discussion of our time on Sunday mornings here for several weeks now, really is birthed out of verse number 6. If you want to look back at it with me, we see the necessity of faith and, and really not only the necessity, but the substance of it. And he says, without faith, it is impossible to please him, speaking of God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. At the very heart of these sacrifices, these men who, and women who paid the cost to follow Christ is this confidence in the reality of who God is and what God has promised. It's fleshed out more for us in the preceding verses in Moses' life, but that's at the very heart of it. And we see it played out, faith played out in men like, like Abel and, and like Enoch and like Noah, like Abraham. In fact, Abraham, that lengthy section in verse number 8 down through verse number 22 is, is showing us what faith looks like in its pilgrim. What journeying this life, believing God consistently over a long period of time, looks like. 
Moses, if that's true, Moses uh, describes for us the cost and the reward of faith. The cost and reward of faith. With Abraham, we saw that he believed without ever uh, receiving all the answers. He trusted without immediate possession of a land and even an heir. He obeyed in the face of great trial and he was looking for something that only God could give. That's at the very heart of all of us. Does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to live out our faith? That flesh and blood demonstration, isn't that at the heart of it? Looking for something that only God can give. That only God can give an eternal home. Well, our next case study, picking up in verse 23, as we read in our text, is that of Moses, not usually the person we associate with faith. Normally, he's associated with the law or the lawgiver, his name being attached with that legal demand of God, as he is seen there on Mount Sinai and all the other events coming at us in Exodus. The Bible says in Numbers, and, uh, and he speaks about that in chapter 3 of Hebrews, that Moses was faithful. God had given him such privilege in Numbers chapter 12 that he spoke with him face to face. He saw the, uh, the, the image of God in whatever fashion that was that he saw. He was a faithful servant. He was the meekest man on earth. But the writer of Hebrews wants us to see not only is all these things true about Moses, he was a man of faith. Going back to verse number 6, whether it's in the Old Testament, whether it's in the New Testament, whether it's last century or whether it's right now at this moment, without faith it is impossible to please God. It has always been by faith. Not one person will enter into heaven, will enter in there based upon his own good works and his own merits. All by faith. All by faith. Except Christ, as he was the righteous one, and it is his heaven. So you see here in this illustration, we're going to walk through these few verses together in our time this morning. First, I want us to notice as we consider faith, I want us to consider its courage. Verse number 23 begins the story of Moses, not necessarily with Moses. It's quite interesting. He begins with Moses' parents by faith. When he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and were not afraid of the king's edict. Exodus 1, 22 closes off as you enter into chapter number 2 before you are introduced to Moses' parents with the king's command that every son that is born to the Hebrews will be uh, cast into the Nile. The population was growing and they had a great reason or a great way to solve that problem because they were multiplying over and over. You remember God's promise to Abraham that your seeds will be as a sand and stars in the heaven. And God was doing that in bondage. Uh, his hands are not tied by our circumstances. Yet in the midst of that, he, he, he sees that the Pharaoh sees this potential danger. And so he says, let's kill all the boy babies that are born. You end that and then you see at the beginning of chapter number two that Moses's mother and father, they meet. Don't know how that all worked out. They meet, they marry, they begin having children in the process of this dangerous and dark time. It's amazing how people say it's such an awful dark day. Why bring children into the world? It's a good reminder that the dark days is not always going to be dark. There's a, there's a, there's a, a work of hope in that. 
Nevertheless, they have a son, Moses, as we come to understand in the thing that he points out here in verse number 23. And, and as he was born, the parents look at the child, or, or the Bible says that he is beautiful of countenance. Now, I know that you're thinking that your estimation of your child is the same as Moses' parents. My baby's beautiful, right? And you hold it up and you share pictures with everybody, look at it, how big it is and how much it weighs and all this other stuff. And even your grandparents, same way. You brag a lot about your grandchildren. It's good. No one ever said, my child is kind of (laughs) ugly. If you did think that, you kind of kept that to yourself, right? Now, some of your grandparents, or some of you may be looking at your spouse saying, well, they take after your side of the family, however, all that works out. (laughs) But here, there's something remarkable about Moses that his parents saw, unusual. Josephus, a um, Jewish historian, writes, and probably the, the, the belief in those days that, uh, that Moses' father, in a vision, was warned or told by God the future of the child and what he would become or what he would do. And so uh, they, they had some kind of warning or inclination that this was no ordinary child. Of course, that's history uh, and, and probably a little myth wrapped up in that, and that's not in the Bible. So we can only take that as far as we take it. Uh, But we can estimate that there was something peculiar about this child Moses. Insomuch that they took their own lives in their own hands, their own safety and concern in their own hands in order to, to save this child alive that he might not die. And the writer explains the reason that they did this and hid him for three months, only three months because he began crying and children are loud, right? And um, it's hard to hide them at that point. Well, nevertheless, they did this, the writer says, because they believed the promises of God. They believed that Joseph was right when they said God would send you a deliverer. They believed when they said that God will bring you to a land that I promised to your father Abraham. They believed that there was a rest beyond the bondage that was given to them. And so in that belief, in that trust in God, they spared their child's life. It reminds us of the courage. And, and really, there's not, a much, there's not anything different for the rest of us. Now, for the other characters here in Hebrews chapter number 11 and in church history and in our own lives, faith itself, that belief in God, who he is and what he said is meant to inform us, but not just meant to inform us, but to stir up courage to do the right thing, even when the odds are against you. Even when the governing powers and the world and all of that is and the pressure is saying no and, and, and threatening all that it threatens It is this reality that we put our lives and our futures in the hands of God. That courage is not blind, uninformed. That courage is not reckless. That is trusting God in the midst of difficulty to do the right thing. Beloved, you and I, given the word of God and the promises of God, much more clear, full uh, manner in which we've been given in our day, are meant to live courageously, believing, trusting in God. When things are difficult. It's amazing as you read the story of this. Just as a side note. That as she by faith puts Moses in that ark. That uh, God not only spares the child's life. But also lets her nurse the child. And she gets paid for it. That's a pretty good gig. 
and those formative years of Moses' life, she is impacting and inputting in his life who you are, where you came from, and what God promised. Let me just say a word of encouragement to the parents here this morning with children, especially younger children. It feels like an uphill climb, doesn't it? Amen? And some of you feel like you're liked and children are endured sometimes. And it's difficult. Be encouraged to invest and continue to plant and water and and to be faithful, pointing them to God continually over and over because you never know what God will do in the future. Well, secondly, not only do we see faith's courage, we see faith's choice. Verse number 24 and verse number 25, he says, By faith Moses, when he was grown up, When he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Can I just say this morning, you cannot remain in neutral forever. You cannot remain undecided. When it comes to who God is, when it comes to what God has said, when it comes to the reality of Christ, there is no middle ground. Even our lack of choosing is in itself a choice by default. I think the um, Elisha or Elijah on Mount Carmel said it best as he looked at the children of Israel as they were worshiping Baal and worshiping Yahweh. And he says, choose you today. No, he doesn't say that. How long halt you between two opinions? If God is God, serve him. But if Baal is God, serve him. That same choice is laid at us. At the giving of the gospel, as preaching at the reality of sin, life, heaven, hell, it's all bringing us to this climactic point of choosing. Choosing. In the one sense, verse number 24, we see this kind of negative side of that. He says, by faith, when he was grown, speaking of the time he was 40, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I think one of the greatest... One of the greatest things that we face in our life is the confusion of identity. Here Moses wrestling with the reality that he was raised in Pharaoh's courts. He was adopted as Pharaoh's daughter. But at this pivotal point in his life, there is this refusal, this stiff arm against the reality of being Pharaoh's grandson. The son of his daughter. It's not just a refusal of this name. Uh, uh, I'm just not... That's just not who I am anymore. It's, it's all of the things that come along with that. The prestige and the prominence, the, the position of, of comfort that come along with being Pharaoh's daughter. He made a decisive point that, that he cannot have both God and the world. And the same thing is true with you and I this morning. You can't have it both ways. You can't be in and of the world and be in and of Christ. You can't have both the pleasures of this life and all of its sinful, sensual desires and have the pleasures and anticipation of heaven. And it is a mercy of the Spirit of God to remind us of that because that is the exact thing that we promote in America. You're going to have it your way. It's like Burger King for religious people. But you can't. There must be a decisive point. Either we, we continue on with the label of Pharaoh's daughter's son or we have to refuse that in order 
to be named among the people of God. You see this choice in his life, this refusal to come, the authority, the privilege, the honor, all that comes along with that. Verse number 24, and he says in verse number 25, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God. You and I would hear the words of that in our day to anyone who would make that choice. What a fool. Would you think that way? I mean, if we put our religious kind of mindset over to the side and think about it naturally, materialistically, the way the world thinks about it, what a fool. You live in the comforts of, of, of the world. You're on top of the world. And you would rather let all that go so you could be identified with the people of God who are slaves. You know, by our very nature, when we change positions or we change jobs or, or we change social classes, it's never going down. Not at least on purpose, right? You know, you're here in middle class. I want to go to lower middle class just because it's something fun and something new and interesting. No one ever says that. But we trade off things, even part of our own upbringing, to, to gain or advance in some other way or fashion. And yet here you see Moses in quite the opposite. Refusing that which which we long for and we promote and we advertise in America. And it's just sickening, isn't it? That's our heroes, those who have made it to that pinnacle point. Our children raised up thinking that's what it really means to arrive. And yet Moses says in the midst of that, or, or Moses displays for us in the midst of that, the gospel, the gospel calls us to make that choice. And that choice by worldly standards isn't always an improvement by their estimation. You see here, he chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than enjoy the pleasures, the fleeting pleasures of sin. The moment he stepped out in, in defense of that slave that was being mistreated by the Egyptians, the moment he took his life is the moment that he sealed the deal. That he would receive what the Jews received. He would be treated how they would be treated. Now, he is no Messiah, but you can see a little example of Christ himself who became like us to suffer on our behalf. You see, he calls him to this place of choosing to be mistreated. I was thinking, I read an article, Mary shared it with me. I actually read it before she shared it with me of Rosaria Butterfield. Some of you have, have maybe read her book or read something by her. Uh, she was an unlikely convert. I think that's the name of the title of one of her books about her testimony. She talks about this kind of life-altering choice. She was a lesbian feminist activist English professor. I don't know what else you could put with that label. She taught at the University of Syracuse in New York. And through the article that she writes, and she shares about that in her own testimony, as God was bringing her to himself, she talked about the betrayal that her tribe, her group of people experienced or felt as she became a Christian. Her partner, 
the students that were in queer theory that she oversaw their PhD network, the people that were in the college classes, the four-year college degree studying under that kind of uh, education, all of them, all of them rejecting her because of her faith in Jesus Christ. You walk away from your whole family. Why? Because you can't stay in the middle. You can't straddle the fence. You can have the world and the things of the world. Or you can have God and the promises of God. But there is that decisive moment, isn't there? And even if we would put off that moment in our own life, that in itself is an answer to the question, what will you do with Jesus Christ and the gospel? I want you to notice, thirdly, verse number 26, as he begins to answer how he can make such a a bold step. He had it made. He had, he had, I mean, he was waited on, hand in front. People drove him around. And yet in verse number 26, he says, he calculated or he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Isn't that in itself a kind of strange statement? That he thought in his mind that the reproach, the suffering, the disdain which was meant for Christ or meant for Christ's people, that association with Christ and his people, that disdain was wealthier than all Egypt had to offer. It was not a thoughtless, mindless jump into trying something new. And we're like that, aren't we? We try this, we try that, we try this program, that thing, that, like Athens, the newest thing coming along, coming and going, and maybe this will be the answer to our restlessness. No, he added it up. The reproach of Christ on one side and the treasures of Egypt, all the world had to offer at the known time. And he says, this is more valuable than all that, the, all that Pharaoh could offer me. I wonder if you think that way when you think about what Christ promises. Is that true? Is that the way we view being in Christ, being born again? Is that the way we view becoming and being a Christian? That the guy, in, or the guy or the gal in North Africa or in North Vietnam has more wealth, more, more precious treasure than those who are running the Fortune 500 companies of our day. You ever thought of that? The voice of the martyrs, those being persecuted in Pakistan and property seized from them, not allowed to do certain positions in other parts of the world. Are they really better off than, let's say, Jeff Bezos? I mean, he can do whatever he wants. He goes to space anytime he wants to go. Moses would say yes, by far. There's more value in being associated with Christ, even the reproach of Christ, than there is gold in Fort Knox. You see, he says this calculated approach. It's a bold statement, but he makes this statement based upon two facts. One, back in verse number 25, because he comes to understand that the pleasures of sin are fleeting. Look at it again. He says, he, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Now, sometimes we as, we as a church, we're kind of scared of that reality and we, we don't admit that. But there is pleasure in sin for a moment. The, the Bible doesn't shy away from that reality. 
Go chase your passions. Go chase whatever you want to chase and fulfill whatever desire you want to feel. There will be some kind of temporary enjoyment in that. Or other people, otherwise, people wouldn't do it at all. But there is an end to that. There is an end to that. The Bible is not, it doesn't shy away from the fact that if you sow to the flesh, you will reap after the flesh. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. And some of you young people, as you get out in the world and you're you unbridled from the influence of your family and, and other people in your life, you can go do whatever you want to do, but you cannot, you cannot accept or deny the, the repercussions of those choices. It's part of it. But what you chase and what we go after and the pleasures of it, it's like chasing the wind in Ecclesiastes. It's never nothing you can grab a hold of or put your hands on. It's, there's no solidness, substantiality to it. It reminds us that the wicked, for the wicked, there is always, even if there is rest in this life, it always ends in trouble. Now you might see people in the world that that's foreign to them. The Bible says in Psalm 73, until I saw their end, there is no rest for the wicked. There is no rest for the godless. And even the reality of the gospel and its proclamation, its call to, to choose, to follow, to believe, to, to commit your life to Christ, or whatever, uh, whatever adjective you want to say at that point, even at that, to reject that, is to reject any hope of rest at all. The Bible says the way of a transgressor is hard. And if it isn't hard in this life, believe me, if you read it from beginning to end, it will be hard in what follows. But not only because there's a fleeting pleasure of sin, if he, if he stayed in the comfort of Egypt and Pharaoh's house, even if he himself become Pharaoh, as some kind of think that he would be next in line, who knows. But even if that were the case, what is another 40, 60 years? And isn't that our problem? We're so temporarily focused in the moment. That our, our value, our way of estimating what is worth Something and, and what is not worth something is fixed on this chasing after our pleasures or chasing after temporary momentary satisfaction. So we go out and have relationships with, with others that are inappropriate because we don't want to go through the long route of commitment and vows and all those things, that momentary pleasure. You see, the outcome of that is disaster. Because we live for the now and the moment. But the answer is not found necessarily in because Moses liked suffering or reproach. You see it at the end of verse number 26. He, he said he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. What was he looking to? And remember, as God calls us to himself, that we believe that he is, he exists, and he is who he is, right? But he is also a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It's a lie of the devil when he tells us that if you come to Christ, he will withhold good things from you because he does not withhold any good thing from those who love him. He is a rewarder. Moses is fixed on the person of God and his promises given to him that there is a rest there is a land promised to them. 
And you know, beloved, that is the same promise to us. And that's the thing that he's trying to tell these people and tell us this morning. No matter how troubled this life is, no matter how difficult the reproach may feel at this moment or disdain or whatever the world does, for those who, who, who know Christ and follow him, it always ends in rest. So let me just go back and say those two things again. For the wicked, it will never end in rest. For the ungodly to reject Christ in this life is to accept an eternity of eternal trouble and damnation. But no matter how hard it is in this life, for those who know Christ, it will always, always end in rest. I like, I know I've said it before, after you get done preaching, there's something about sitting down. Pastor Ray didn't let us during prayer time. I know some of you were thinking, boy, it'd be nice if he let us sit down. Weren't you? Amen. <laughs> there's something about rest. And he's telling these people, you've not gotten there yet. But it is sure. He will carry us all the way home. And bringing about the reality that the temporariness of this life, 20, 30, 40, 60, 70, 80 years, is just but for a moment. You and I will live for eternity somewhere. And what good would it be if Moses enjoyed all the pleasures of this life? To face all the miseries of the life to come. But that's true with you. What good is it? What good is it to chase your dreams at the expense of your own soul? Truly the fool isn't Moses. The fool is you. And all who will, who will push heaven and hope aside for the temporary pleasures of the moment. The gospel is this, isn't it? That we've all sinned against God and fallen short of his glory. And that because of that, and the Hebrew writer reminds us back in chapter number 9, that it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. Now that's a reality for you and me and, and every person in this room. But the reward, the hope, is that at that moment, those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, those who have repented from their sins, turned away from their lifestyles, and went and followed after Christ, those at that moment when they stand before Him, they will be received into everlasting glory. And that the mere suffering and the reproach and the, and the trouble which this life, the mistreatment with this life gives, will not even will not even enter the mind because of the glory that will be revealed in us. But for those who live this life, rejecting the offer of Christ and his death on behalf of our sins, they will stand before him and they will bear the full weight and guilt of their actions. And for eternity, they will face the consequences of their rejection of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jesus came out of the wilderness, didn't he, when he said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand calling even his own countrymen to, to receive the message of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to turn away from their sins in their own way and to surrender. To, to I like the old song, it says, In my hands nothing I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. And if you're here this morning, you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I just I encourage you. I beg you, I'd do it for you if I could, but I can't. You must make the choice yourself. 
Faith brings us to that choice, that calculation of that choice. It brings our eyes to understand that it is no fool's errand to follow after Christ. The reality is it's a fool's errand to follow after the world. There is an eternal reward that Moses is fixed upon. You see that following on in his life as we look at him leaving Egypt and the other things that he mentions here. Let me close this way. To you who are undecided this morning, how long will you remain as you are? How long do you remain undecided? And let the opportunity of God's grace and the words which his word calls us to just slip away. What more can he do or could he do to, to, to grab your attention in your life? You yourself know that the way of a transgressor is hard. You felt it in your own experience. And you know that that even in all of that, even if you plant yourself as the victim, even in all of that, you bear some of the guilt of it. And yet here, Christ offers us forgiveness and restoration. And I would say to those of you who are drifting, like he says to those who are drifting in this church, why don't you realize that you've made a break with those things? That's what coming to Christ is, is to break with the world. He says in verse number uh, 27, by faith he left, he forsook, he, he had a clean break of Egypt. And so you and I have had a clean, clean break of the world, not to live in it and, and to, to entrap ourselves in those things. To the discouraged and the fearful, I would say, What a reminder that we've already had this morning that God is with us. Why should we be afraid? And because of the reward that is in front of us to the weary, I would just remind you there is rest. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning that you've given us. We thank you for this time. Lord, I... I'm so thankful for your word that you teach us not just by way of of ideas, but you set before us flesh and blood examples, what it looks like to follow you. Lord, I pray that even as we face a world where we are in desperate need of courage, that you would keep our eyes fixed on you, encouraged by your word and your presence, by your promises that you've given us. And Lord, I pray for those here this morning who may be faltering in their walk with you, drifting back into the world in which you've called them out of. Lord, open their eyes to see that friendship with the world is at enmity with God. And Lord, I pray for those who don't know you at all, that even today, even right now, that they they would be done with that. Repent of their sins and put their faith and trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.